Γεια σας φίλοι και φίλες των γλωσσών και του Easy Languages Network γενικότερα. Είμαι ο Δημήτρης και είμαι πάρα πολύ χαρούμενος που είμαι σήμερα στο podcast του Easy Languages με την Ρίτα και τον Ράφα. Γεια σας παιδιά. I said hello. Is this the Easy Greek podcast or something's wrong here? Almost. We are part of the same family anyway. You're right. So welcome everyone to the Easy Languages podcast again. But this was undoubtedly Dimitri's voice from the Easy Greek uh, channel. You might have recognized him already. Welcome. Hello, everyone. And Dimitris, we have to celebrate. Yes, I like celebrations. Tell me, what are we doing tonight? Uh, tonight, today. <laughs> what did you bring to celebrate? What, what kind of food or drinks did you bring with you? I ate some chocolate before to give me some energy. Uh, it's not my coffee day today because I only drink uh, on Wednesdays and Saturdays, in fact. So, yeah, I haven't brought anything. I promised you I'd bring some spanakopita, but uh, then, yeah, we said that uh, it probably wasn't such, such a good idea to actually eat the spanakopita in front of the microphone. It would be kind of awkward, right? So... <laughs> I mean, one first question: What is this? <laughs> ah, I'm so happy you asked that question, Rita. So, spanakopita, mm-hmm. spanaki. Maybe it reminds me. Of, it reminds you of some kind of vegetable or green. It's spinach. Spinach, right? And pita is the bread. Pie. Like oh, pie. Yeah, like a bread. I know the pita bread. That's why I said bread. Okay. You see, Rita, you already know some Greek. <laughs> yeah. So in Greek, we don't just call um, the pita bread pita. We also call things like um, cheese pies, spinach pies, uh, whatever. We also call them pita. Nice. Guys, please stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to get hungry. I can send you sp- some spanakopita over. Yes, please. Like uh, Marilena's mom makes an amazing spanakopita. And we even have... Um, a video on our channel where she actually uh, shows you how to make uh, mom's spanakopita. So you should have a look. Can I say something? It's awesome. I mean, it sounds delicious, but if I didn't know what it was, I would have thought of something like very complex or, you know, like spanakopita. It sounds like, a, I don't know, <laughs> like something you're going to send to space, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think (laughs) we should include uh, next time we send stuff over to the aliens, like the Voyager (laughs) expedition, we should send some Spanakopita over. They would really (laughs) appreciate Appreciate it. it, (laughs) Deep frozen in space. So that aliens can celebrate with us. But after all, what are we celebrating? 50k subscribers for the Easy Greek YouTube channel. Yay! Uh, Yeah! (laughs) Dimitris, congratulations. Full disclosure here, we are still not at uh, 50k, we're at 49.2 or something, but maybe in a few days we'll be there and by the time you hear this podcast, um, we'll be over the 50k mark. Yeah, which we actually checked the forecast and we are quite sure you'll be there, so we are very happy in advance for you. We contacted some scientists from NASA. And they told us that uh, by the time this will be live, you will have reached 50k. <laughs> 50k it sounds so little, but it's really impressive, right? It is. Like 50,000 people. It's like, uh, if, if you put it in perspective, it's like a um, medium-sized city in Greece. Wow. Honestly, I thought about a stadium. I imagined a stadium full of people, you know, cheering and clapping for <laughs> Dimitris and Marilena. Yeah. 
Congratulations. Thank you so much. Dimitris, we have so many questions that we have to ask you. So I'd say let's start straight away. And our first question for you is, you manage the Easy Greek channel with Marilena, right? That's uh, right. Who is your wife? We've been, uh, we're married, actually. We got married uh, two years ago. It was a wow. civil wedding. And uh, now we also have uh, a son. He's um, yes. almost two years old. Little Stavros. Yeah. He hasn't been on the channel yet. <laughs> but we are going to talk about kids and languages uh, later on. But for now, my question was, how is it like to uh, manage the channel and shoot the videos and record the podcast episodes with your wife? Is it a good thing or a bad thing or is it just different? Mm. It all depends on the mood. On some days when uh, we've already had a couple of arguments in the day, then it's not so good. <laughs> It gets in the way, but uh, generally it's um, it's good. Although I have to say that sometimes it's difficult to keep you know the work and the personal relationship separate. But um, all in all, I think it's good because um, it gives a, a layer of creativity to our relationship. Wow! We do the podcast together too, so. Many times we're just uh, sitting on the sofa and we're like, okay, it's uh, 11 o'clock. Now we should go do the podcast <laughs> and we go to our separate studios. And uh, we're like, okay, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Dinner. <laughs> well, we're already recording. <laughs> we just uh, just talk and the, and the idea or the topic of the episode just emerges like from everyday conversation. I love that because I, I know that you, Raf, also you do a few things for Easy Town with your wife, right? Yeah, that's correct. And I'm kind of jealous because I, I talk a lot about my work with my husband and he helps me with so many things, but I'm sure he won't, wouldn't be so happy to have to deal with <laughs> me the whole day working with me. So I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. Go and have drinks and keep on talking about that. It's really nice, right? How is it for you, Raf? I can relate to what Dimitris said. It's uh, Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse because, uh, you know, it's easier to argue with uh, with your wife or your husband than it is with uh, another professional, let's say. <laughs> so it's not easy to keep them separate, like work and personal life. The good thing for me is that for the podcast, I record the podcast with Matteo, not with my wife. And uh, I only shoot one video per month. So it's good to work together once a month. And that's it. You know, it's not like we have to do that every day. Generally, one rule of thumb for couples is not to work together. <laughs> but, <laughs> Bottom line, after all we've said, don't work with your couple. <laughs> well, that's, that's what most people say, but we, you know, we don't like to generalize, to use stereotypes. You know? So my personal experience is a positive one, but it's just once a month, just one half a day a month. Dimitris, next question is actually from you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have a question for yourself. <laughs> this question that you sent us is actually, what is the question that you wish you were asked, but no one ever asked you? Oh, man. You went ahead with that, didn't you? One question I'm never asked, and I'm always sad about it, is um, no one asks me about my worms in my compost bin. What? <laughs> I have uh, worms in my compost bin. <laughs> I have a wormery at home. And I 
it's like my hobby taking care of my worms and uh, feeding them Aww. you know kitchen scrap and things like that and i am always so excited about my worms and how my worms are doing <laughs> how are they doing then tell us <laughs> multiplying they seem happy <laughs> and i take them out of the bin to show them to little stavros and he's always so happy he uh, he calls any animal smaller than a sparrow i'd say he calls them all mimi uh, whether it's oh. a lizard or a cockroach or a worm or an ant it's all mimi mimi oh you know what i love it because mimi in french is the short for mignon which is cute or sweet oh. cute yeah so it means like i can imagine him saying cute 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's so sweet And another question I'm never asked and um, I'd like someone to ask me is what I'd like to do if I was um, if I wasn't doing easy greek what else I'd like to do so tell us someday I'd like to be either a writer or um have a podcast about unexplained phenomena I'm uh, writing down my ideas <laughs> meanwhile <Wow. laughs> for the unexplained phenomena of the world or I'd like to be a psychedelic uh, psychotherapist. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. <laughs> my, this is the second time during this interview that my jaw dropped. <laughs> <laughs> after the after the worms or what was the <laughs> the other one? Yeah, the first one was about the worms. <laughs> I have other questions. They are not maybe so deep or interesting to you. <laughs> Hopefully, they will be. Mm -hmm. And then, said when we were in Barcelona and uh, you were guys shooting a video for our channel, uh, she kind of heard you sp like speak some French, and she wanted to know more about when did you learn French, how, why did you stop if you did. Oh man! <laughs> so, um, so I've been uh, hearing French my whole life because uh, my father's wife, sister's children. <laughs> so yeah, they are half Greek, half Tunisian. And they went to a French Greek school here in Athens. And they grew up French speaking. So whenever I was with this family, who are like my own family as well, we're really close. I always hear them speak French. So all my life I've been wow. hearing French. It's something very familiar to my ear but for a long time i couldn't understand a thing then uh, in high school i got some uh, french classes and very basic stuff you know how it goes with uh, learning languages at school and then at some point i learned spanish and uh, learning spanish really uh, helped me understand french much better but do you speak french as well Uh, very little. Like I can, uh, it's uh, less than elementary, I guess. But it's not completely uh, in existence. It's somewhere, but it's very <laughs> disconnected, and yeah, nothing to really. Yeah, she was impressed. Actually, that's why she was asking that. But I have another question. I know you speak a few languages, and you learn maybe some others. Mm -hmm. um, but what about your heritage? I remember when we met in Germany for the first time, um, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. You have some Australian heritage too? Yeah, my dad is from Sydney. That's awesome. Can you tell us more about it? Because I remember when I was living there, I, I just learned that there were there was, especially in Melbourne, a huge Greek community. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. Is there any connection to that? Ha, has he like any family in Greece or not at all? It's funny because uh, whenever I tell people I'm half Australian, they have the same 
like they assume the same a reaction yes they assume that uh, i'm uh, my father is greek australian but i tell them I'm not Greek Australian. I'm actually Australian Greek. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I used to go there every three years with my dad for holidays. Uh, August, which means, of course, uh, winter, <laughs> winter holidays <Yeah. laughs> in Australia. But it's been like 20 years since I last went to see my family. And we don't really, we're not close, which is a shame. Okay, but I mean, like you, you, you grew up like speaking English to your father, then also, right? Mm. Not only Greek at home. Kind of, because my my parents are actually divorced. They got a divorce when I was really little. I didn't uh, see my father so often. Like uh, I'd see him maybe twice every month, like every second weekend. And um, when I was a kid, I had some kind of denial when it came to English. Maybe I had connected it with him and mm -hmm. I didn't really want to speak it with him. I, you know, the, how, children, how children react sometimes with things yes. like that. And, mm -hmm. But then as I grew older, when I was around 10 or 11, I started, uh, I decided to start uh, speaking English to him. Yeah. And since then we speak in English. That's really cool. I mean, I didn't I mean at all to ask so so many personal questions. I really what was thinking mostly about, you know, your relation to the English language. But thank you for telling us like giving us an insight on your life, personal life. Yeah, it's, really cool it's uh, to know that. every such uh, story when it comes to language, it very often has to do with something like this, some kind of personal story because language is connected uh, very intimately and very closely to our life story. Of course. Hmm. But thank you very much, Dimitris. <laughs> yeah, thank you for opening up. That's, You're welcome. Uh, that's so true. And we have another question uh, before, you know, jump into the language section. And this is from Johnny from Easy uh, Mandarin. Hello, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> but also from Judith and Hélène from Easy French. Hello, Judith and Hélène. <laughs> uh, Johnny wants to know uh, what's your secret spot in Athens? While the other girls from the Easy French team, they want to know how to enjoy feta best. <laughs> so, uh, question number one. Johnny, I know you like Little Cook in Monastiraki. It's a um, confectionery, like it's a cafe slash uh, patisserie slash, I don't know, which is like the tackiest place you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, it's um, it's. Like decorated like a Disney movie, but really, really over the top. And it's always full of tourists. And Johnny loves that place. I don't like it, but I can see why you like it. Uh, the place I go to most often is a bar called uh, Strange Brew in Kukaki. Really nice people, really nice um, street, quiet, but also lively and with amazing beer. That would be my choice. Yeah. What more can you ask? And what about feta? Feta. So, with feta, it's a little bit tricky because um, it all depends on tastes, right? So, there are people who like hard feta and there are other people who like soft feta. It's much more, um, it's much harder to find soft feta. Like, uh, it, it has like the texture of uh, butter, kind of. Yeah, I love that. It's not crumbly like mm. uh, hard feta. A lot of people like eating feta um, as a specialty dish. Uh, in the oven, we call this saganaki, 
and it's like um, together with uh, tomatoes and peppers sometimes, and you eat it out of a tin foil thing. And that's, mm. I think that's the best way to eat feta with uh, tomatoes, uh, peppers in the oven. We want Marilena's recipe for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely share it with us. <laughs> okay, I will. Time to talk about the Greek language in itself. Can you please give us a small introduction to the Greek language? I know it's a huge question. Right. So supposedly, not supposedly, <laughs> I guess uh, it's the truth. Uh, the Greek language is uh, one of the oldest languages in the world. Um, of course, the pronunciation has changed a lot since then. And the Greek language has been through different periods. Like, for example, the, in classical Athens, they spoke a different language than 500 years afterwards. And there was the Greek koine. And the, the, it was medieval Greek in a way. It didn't change so much in this period. And then when Greece became a modern state, they wanted uh, modern Greece to feel like a successor to ancient Greece. They thought, okay, our language isn't so much similar, isn't so similar to ancient Greek, so let's invent a language that kind of combines uh, the, the Greek we speak today and ancient Greek. And for many years, the official language in Greece, until 1976, I think, was this artificial language we call Katharebusa. Uh, but now we speak a kind of very simplified version of that language. Right now, it's um, more and more difficult for young Greek speakers to understand older forms of Greek. And we show that in, our, in some of our episodes where we ask people on the street. Dimitris, can I interrupt you? Yes. Because that is literally the first video that I've ever watched from the Easy Greek channel. <laughs> Do modern day Greek speakers understand ancient Greek texts or something like that? Yeah. So that's how I got into your channel. Wow. It's, uh, it remains one of our, th the first uh, episode, because uh, the one with the text is the second episode, because the first time we went out to make this question, um, it was a short episode when we just went around, we asked people, hey, do you remember anything of ancient Greek from uh, school? And most people said no. And uh, we got... Uh, <laughs> I, I relate to that because I had some introduction to ancient <laughs> Greek. <laughs> I don't remember so much <laughs> about it. But speaking of that, it's like I remember, we, I mean, in science classes, we learn how to, you know, read a few letters in Greek of the Greek alphabet. And my Greek friend was like, oh, my God, this is not how we pronounce them. You know, <laughs> it's like we say alpha, beta. He's like, it's not a beta. You know, <laughs> we don't say beta. <laughs> So I, I saw later on a video that you made about that, and I thought it was really cool, you know, just to tell people that it's Vita, right? That's how you say, right? For Beta. Yeah, and here comes a big uh, question, because some people say that in ancient Greek, people mm -hmm. really said Beta. Like, oh. in ancient, ancient Greek, this Vita is pronounced Beta. Okay, so I'm glad every time I say beta, I will feel like closer to ancient Greek people. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still uh, out there. Like no one knows for sure. We can only make uh, like guesses. Assumptions, yeah. Assumptions. And talking about that, um, I actually have a recommendation uh, this week about a book. Uh, you cannot help, you know, talking about uh, ancient Greek when you talk about modern day Greek. 
And the book I want to recommend is one by a, a girl. Her name is Andrea Marcolongo, and she wrote a wonderful book about ancient Greek. And the title is uh, The Ingenious Language, Nine Reasons to Learn uh, Greek. Mm. I didn't know about that book, so I googled it kind of, and I, I found a um, an article uh, from The Guardian talking about Andrea, and she says she argues that ancient Greek offers us uniquely concise, explosive, ironic, open-ended modes of expression. So do you agree with that, Dimitris? Mm, not really. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Believe me, there are like, I don't know, hundreds of Greek authors who who really write the same thing, these guys take it to the to a whole new level. Mm. Like they say that ancient Greek gave birth to all the languages in the world. Or <laughs> that reminds me of some movie character. Yeah, of a movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this is a, the they're not like random uh, grandfathers or something. They're, they they call themselves scientists. Mm. And uh, they they make theories as to how, for example, there is some kind of mathematical symmetry in ancient Greek or how ancient Greek is closer to how the brain thinks or, I don't know, wow. all these wild theories about how Greek is superior to other languages. Yeah, Maybe uh, ancient Greek has uh, some value in it that is, uh, it has some elegance. Mm. Of course, of course. I get your point. I have just one question because Manuel asked you a question and I think it's quite related to this. If you had to tell people, why would you learn Greek? And his question was, why your learners, people who are following your channel, why are they learning Greek? Did they tell you why they learn Greek? That's really funny because uh, we actually made an episode about this. I mean, I guess it's our last episode. <laughs> we talked about the categories of easy Greekers. That's so cool. The different categories of people who watch uh, the channel and listen to the podcast. And when it comes to absolute numbers, the most people who follow us are Greeks, of course. It's uh, as it happens with uh, many channels on the network. Uh, after that, I guess it's um, the biggest category of people who watch us are Greek Americans or Greek Australians or, you know, um, people who live um, in the diaspora, as we call them in uh, Greek, who want to connect to their roots or want to learn Greek because they never learned it. They might be like second, third, fourth generation Greeks, descendants of immigrants. Dimitris, so we have mentioned quite a few things here, like the diaspora mm -hmm. and all the Greeks that are living uh, abroad, that moved abroad uh, maybe centuries ago. We also talked about grandfathers slash scientists and i absolutely <laughs> had to think about you know the movie uh big fat greek my big wedding. fat greek wedding exactly yeah. and you know the grandfather scene <laughs> in the car where he explains the girls <laughs> in the car that everything comes from greek yeah like it give me any word <laughs> kimono <laughs> it comes from himonas <laughs> which is winter what yeah. do you wear in winter <laughs> Exactly. You, you do a very good interpretation <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah, they use a couple of words. One of them is exactly kimono. And he says that it comes from the word for winter in Greek, <laughs> which of course is not the case. Could have been. What do you mean it's not the case? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny because uh, there was like, uh, there's a certain niche semi-troll theory that, that some people uh, believe that... Um, Japanese and Greeks are somehow connected. I don't remember exactly. I thought it was with Turkish. Really? 
know that the people of, of Japan are connected. They base uh, this theory on some words, but I don't remember now. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> you study Japanese as well. Yes. First of all, if you know uh, the, the actual meaning of kimono. I know that mono, when it's a suffix on, uh, on a word, like it has this kanji with a mono, it means thing. Exactly. Uh, so ki... It can mean a whole different uh, things, so a whole lot of different things. I don't know what it means, though. You're on the right path. Do you know? In this case, it's kiru, and, and as you say, it can mean many different things, but in this mm -hmm. case, it uh, means kiru to, to wear. wear, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's something that you wear. Japanese people use that mono word as a suffix to say, for example, tabemono, it means something you eat, mm. or uh, nomimono, something yeah. that you drink, exactly, and so on. So that theory does not stand. Now Rafa <laughs> has uh, proved you all wrong, especially Mr. Portocalos. <laughs> Funny note, Portocalo is a Neapolitan word as well, and I'm not saying it comes from Neapolitan. It comes from Greek language, of course, <laughs> but we still use it, uh, you know, daily in, uh, in Naples, in Neapolitan language, and it means the same thing. Orange. But it's not, a, it's not a Greek word. It comes from um, Portugal. Yeah. From the word yeah. Portugal. We have it in Arabic too, Portugala or Portugal, which is the orange. And it comes from the word for Portugal. Yeah. I believe, I might be completely wrong here, that uh, the Portuguese are the first who brought oranges to Europe, like from uh, Asia. And then it spreads... Uh, to Africa, North Africa, and the rest of Europe? Uh, I think in Neapolitan language, we got it from the Greek language because it's not the only example of a fruit that we basically call the same way as uh, in the Greek language. So one is portocalli, orange, we say oportual, eportual, and the other one, for example, is uh, apricot. What, what is it in Greek today? Vericoco. Vericoco. <laughs> Vericoco, I love it. <laughs> I think it's my favorite word in Greek now. <laughs> Very coco. <laughs> Very coco. It sounds like somebody is speaking French, like English. And it's a French thing. Very coco. <laughs> and in Neapolitan language, we say, we say chrysomola, which is basically Greek. Chrysosmilo, which is the golden apple. But just to tell you that Naples and most of south of Italy actually have Greek origin. Yes. But have you heard the phrase... Mia faccia, mia razza. I've heard it in uh, Italian. Una faccia, una razza. Uh, one face, one race. <laughs> or something yeah, like yeah, that. That's Is it related to the Greek nose? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that everybody has in the Mediterranean but there. <laughs> once upon a time, an Italian told me that this is connected with uh, Mussolini. <gasps> like, oh, ah, we're the same race, so we should be the same country, right? Is it hmm. true what this girl told me, that um, if you say this, it, it kind of alludes to Mussolini? Absolutely not. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, we try and stay away from anything that Mussolini said or did. We... <laughs> Uh, we're kind of ashamed of whatever happened during those 20 years. And it's actually something that dates uh, a lot uh, farther back in time. Mm, uh, I, I mentioned right. the Greek origins of most of the cities on the seaside of the south of Italy. And um, especially if you go to cities like Naples or uh, regions like Apulia, you, as a Greek, you would totally feel the connection. Um, I have seen things happen in Athens that could only happen in Athens and in Naples, <laughs> or generally speaking, in Greece and in southern Italy. 
So I, when I went there, I totally felt, you know, that we're very close as, uh, as people. Well, uh, a few years ago, we went to Sicily with Marilena for a couple of days, and we went to Catania, and uh, it really felt, I could really feel this Greek uh, heritage. It's not obvious, but uh, in the names of the places and uh, in some other things, uh, I don't know, it, it felt really familiar in different ways. The geography. Rita, is there a Greek connection in France too? Of course. I mean, uh, the first thing I thought of or the first city is Marseille in the south of France. And people are quite proud of their uh, ancient Greek history. <laughs> But do you think there's a difference between people from the south of France, from the Mediterranean coast, let's say, and people from the rest of France based on the fact that they are uh, originally from Greece? I mean, obviously, uh, south of France is like such a... I mean, all of France, we have so many different regions influenced by so many different populations, you know. And south is so much related to Italy in some point. And Marseille, they're quite... I mean, it's a huge city now with so much... Like, I mean, population from like south and north Mediterranean. So it's a mix. But a lot of people who are like so proud of saying we are, you know, from Marseille for generations and everything. And like, they're kind of proud of their Greek heritage or even the heritage of the city itself if it's not on their own. And I feel like there is a lot of similarity. Yeah. I mean, you were you you were talking about like also a few parts. You both of you guys, um, some few parts of Italy. My my brother in law is from um, a part of Italy where they think and they believe they have like some Greek origin. And when I see him behave, sometimes for me it's like a lot of friends of mine. They're from Marseille. They kind of the same. They have the same ways and everything. But I mean, I don't like generalizing about people. But I feel like the culture is maybe the Greek culture isn't so present as much as Italian one is. But of course, yeah, it's there. As a Neapolitan, as a, an Italian from the South, I can totally confirm that we do feel that connection. We feel proud about our Greek heritage. And we even use it in our rivalry with, uh, against other cities from Italy to kind of say that we are actually Greek. So we it's even before the Romans came. So Like we have a longer history than you guys, something <laughs> like that. All right, guys, I think time has come for us to uh, switch to language learning tips. Dimitris, you have a little kid. Mm. Rita and I, we have two little girls. And so we, in a way, we are all connected with these sort of language problems. So my question to you, Dimitris, how do you approach language learning, uh, actually language teaching, to small kids. As a father? Yeah. How to raise a polyglot kid or if it's something that we should aim for? Yeah, it's definitely something we should aim for. At least um, it's one extra tool in our child's belt that we can uh, provide for them if we do it in the right way. For now, I only speak to him in English. Like, okay, not only, but 95% of the time or when I'm not singing some Greek song. I only know that uh, you're not supposed to speak more than one language to your child, like uh, each parent is supposed to speak one language, so the child has the chance to connect one language with one specific parent. That's the one parent, one language approach. Yes, exactly. I don't know if this is the right approach, Some people who have um, raised uh, bilingual children have told me that this is the right approach, so I follow their tips. 
personally. What about you, Rita? What do you think? Uh, do you use any methods to teach uh, your little girl foreign languages? So it's a very good question. First of all, I believe, yeah, uh, I, I've been following a lot of people like that are either, either writing books about multilingualism and or like teaching their own children or others, you know, how to do that. So of course, this OPOL um, method comes all the all the time but before even thinking about my own daughter i had to think about myself and i actually didn't really go through that kind of process my parents would speak to me different languages each and it still worked so i'm like is it really the only the only method but actually it depends where you live also and Uh, like the idea is just to have one dominant language with one person to make it easier. And in the case of my daughter, I was very worried because we are in France and French is so important and strong. And um, so I tried to keep it like that, but I didn't. So I'm not sure it's a good thing, but I, I myself speak to her in different situations, which is not often a good thing, different languages, because I just didn't want her to kind of relate one language to only one situation, bad or good. But for now, she's like being like reactive to it. But the, the thing is that I'm not, my, my, my kind of main goal isn't really for her to speak those languages, but just to be open to those sounds before two years old. They say it's very important that the children, you know, kind of get used to that because then after they kind of discriminate on the sounds they don't need anymore, that the, the, the adults around them don't use. And I realized, for example, when when we do English and then then sometimes she's talking to to me, she says something and she tries to say it in English. More and more, she has a very Frenchy accent now, you know, because of, you know, the environment around her. She's like more time at the daycare than with me. So I'm like, you know, it's fine. So I'm sure that would help, especially if you have two parents that are from different like, um, you know, uh, heritage, uh, like they have different heritage language or even nationalities. My husband, like his mom is Dutch, his father is Lebanese, but he's French, just like me. So you can imagine that French is very present in our day today. Um, but I believe that once she's like three or something, I might see what she likes more. But music, you said you sing to your son, Dimitris, in, in, in Greek. I try to sing to her in different languages because I believe this talks more to her heart and then she decides what she wants. But when her grandmother speaks to her Dutch, she doesn't react so much. But when we were in Holland with other children, she reacted because she wanted to communicate with children. So I don't know. Mm. But what about you, Raf? Well, both me and my wife, uh, we come from monolingual families and we are in a way a monolingual family too, meaning that we only speak Italian at home and we only use Italian with our daughter. Um, this was a conscious decision uh, because none of us, you know, is a native speaker of uh, another language. We, I have learned all my languages. Um, so the conscious decision was to uh, speak from day one Italian to, to the little girl and only Italian. Only Italian? So no Neapolitan? Neapolitan, we use it at home. Uh, but it's in very specific situations. And of course, she is exposed to Neapolitan as well because we speak, you know, Neapolitan between me and my wife or with the grandpas, the grandmothers, and so on. The most important thing for me is uh, to make sure that the kid is exposed to multiple languages so she can recognize different sounds, uh, you know. But um, for the time being, we only speak Italian to her because our priority was for her to be able to communicate as soon as possible in Italian with us and with the people around us. And since we live in a mostly monolingual community, mm. um, right. I didn't really want to include other languages. 
I plan to do that in the future, as you said, starting from uh, age three, to kind of include little games using foreign languages, something like from now on, for the next hour or so, we are going to play this game. And whenever we play this game, we are going to play it in English. Or maybe you're watching, I don't know, cartoon, and you can only watch one episode in Italian. If you want to watch another one, we are going to watch it together, and it's going to be in English, maybe, or in Spanish, to kind of slowly introduce different languages. But one important point for me was not to project myself uh, on the daughter, meaning that I decided that I wanted to learn languages and um, I made this decision myself. Uh, I don't want to make the decision for my daughter. Maybe she doesn't like languages. Maybe she doesn't yeah. feel like learning languages. Yeah. <laughs> she's just uh, happy with Italian. Hopefully not, but it's going to be her decision. So mm -hmm. we'll sprinkle languages while she uh, grows up. But I'm not sure I will, you know, force languages onto her. Mm. So you're right. Like, I mean, actually, it's like what is the most important, I believe, is like kind of you have to know like the exact circumstances of each of, you know, the families. It's true that um, going off of what uh, Rafa said before, that one of the main like um, negative points of uh, raising a multilingual child is that it takes longer for them to actually start speaking in any of the two or more languages and uh, it's certainly like this with uh, our Stavros. Interesting we can discuss that maybe another time when you come to see us again because I disagree with that point <laughs> uh, but um... we're going to have another update in a year we're going to have <laughs> yes. we're going to record the same episode and we're going to see uh, how many languages our little kids can speak definitely <laughs> and maybe and then the third episode would be between the three of them <laughs> yeah. oh, that would be awesome actually Dimitris, if you don't mind, one last thing. Your language learning tip, not specifically for kids, in general, as a language teacher as an, and as a language learner, what's your tip for our listeners? I don't know. This always makes me like, oh shit, what am I going to say? Do I even <laughs> have any tips to share? Like, uh, I don't consider myself such a big, su such a skilled language learner, to be honest. I'm always very relaxed and take things on my own pace. At my own pace. Huh? That's a tip already. Yeah. So what's worked for you? Yeah. When you learn, for example, Japanese, what is the thing that you realize, oh, this is so helpful and I feel like it makes me continue, you know, and keep up with it? Okay. Um, it really helps if you make it a habit, like a little bit every day. So applications that gamify learning in a way that uh, has you coming back every day are really good. So it... There's this uh, kind of uh, extrinsic motivation that keeps you coming back and takes advantage of our uh, mammal brains or reptilian brains, I don't know, to form habits, uh, to, to make yourself want to learn and not see it as something like, oh, I have to learn now. Uh, another tip would be to make as many mistakes as possible and have someone correct you gently. <laughs> um, that goes a long way. And uh, another tip that goes along with having someone correct you is actually find someone to build a meaningful relationship um, in the language, in your target language. Kind of create an emotional relation to the language, you know, maybe. Yes, mm, exactly. I love that. So, Dimitris, you said you had no tips and you came up with three on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. These are helpful for me. Maybe they're not so helpful for anyone else. Uh, I don't know. Try them out. But it's really funny because last week we were talking about how uh, Raf, when he's learning Japanese, he started learning kind of some attitudes from Jap Japanese people, like being more humble about, you know, like what you can achieve and do. <laughs> and you're acting so much the same way, you know, I feel like because you've been learning Japanese. Also. <laughs> Maybe I'm learning Japanese because I'm like that. Oh. It's uh, it's uh, attractive in uh, the opposite way. Interesting. Maybe. Love it. <laughs> All right, Dimitris. Uh, we covered so many topics and it was so interesting. So thank you for your time, but we're not done here. Right, Rita? I can't wait to be in the, on that bonus with you and learn so much Greek and try to guess what you're talking about, guys. And you can join us too. In the, if you're a Patreon uh, supporter, you can join us and learn some Greek together with Rita. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cool idea. I can't wait for it. So let's start right now. Uh, for everyone else, I guess we'll we'll meet next week. Talk next week. Yes, us. Goodbye. Ciao, ciao.